0: And I'll get situated. So as you know, if you've been journeying with us during this Lent season coming up to Easter, we've been exploring God's amazing grace. And we've parked ourselves in Luke 15, the parables of Luke 15, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son or sons, as we discovered. And then last week, the parable of the vineyard workers who all got paid the same amount And trying to get at a little bit of what does God's grace look like? What's, what, how does it, yeah, what, anyway, we're just trying to poke around at that and sort of hear how Jesus, in fact, describes God's amazing grace. This morning, we're going to make a slight shift and talk a bit more about how does God's grace penetrate our lives? In what places does God get our attention and break in? Um, and so I want to begin with a, my favorite Elizabeth Barrett Browning poem. Uh, what am I saying? It's the only Elizabeth Barrett Browning poem I know. So of course it's my favorite. <laughs> makes it sound like a big book of her poetry. I do not. Uh, you're probably familiar with this poem. Maybe you're not. Maybe you are. Here it is. It's great. Here's her words. Earth is crammed with heaven. And every common bush afire with God, but only he who takes off his shoes, or only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. And what Elizabeth Barrett Browning's poking at here is this sort of the holiness of, of the life we find ourselves in. And that where God is, there is holiness, right? It's obviously an allusion to uh, Moses and the burning bush and the holiness of that moment. Um, and really what she's getting at is what theologians call common grace. Okay? And so we're going to spend this week talking about common grace, and I'll talk a bit about what that is in a moment. And we're gonna, next week we'll talk about what theologians call saving grace. Common grace, saving grace. Saving grace is that grace where we encounter Jesus in a saving way, where we, we sang about that this morning, where God's amazing grace breaks in and draws us into relationship with the living one, right? Jesus' death and resurrection. We're moving up to that central story at Easter time, where God's saving grace breaks in through the person of Jesus. But there is also something called common grace, And that's what we're unpacking this morning. Here's how uh, one commentator describes common grace. It'll be on the slide here. Common grace refers to the grace of God that is common to all humankind. It is common because its, its benefits are experienced by the whole human race. Without distinction between one person or another, believers or unbelievers. It is grace, because it is undeserved and sovereignly bestowed or given by God. Okay, this is what Jesus is on about in the Sermon on the Mount. You're familiar with this text, where he... I'm just going to read the one verse that's pertinent here, where he says, um, God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Okay, and what Jesus is is describing there is what theologians have called common grace. That it doesn't really matter uh, if, uh, where people are at, good or bad, good or evil, he actually says, righteous and unrighteous, rain falls on them both. Because God is a God of goodness and longs to lavish his grace, sometimes in unexpected ways on all of his creation, uh, regardless of where people stand in their relationship with him. It's common grace. It's grace that is uh, for all. There are three broad ways that I'm going to give you that this grace sort of breaks into our world and catches us sometimes unaware. And I'm going to... So we're just going to sort of poke around the theology of this for a moment, and then I'm actually going to tell you some stories. So just stick with me for the theology for a moment, the teaching, so you get grounded in this, and then I want to tell some stories of how this has played out. Okay, so three ways that this common grace penetrates our lives. The first is through the goodness of creation. Okay, you're familiar with the Genesis creation account. And one of the refrains, one of the echoes in this story is God referring to creation as good. It is good. It is good. It is good. good. Numerous times it say that. And it culminates in verse 31 of the first chapter. Chapter 1 of Genesis. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Okay? And there is a goodness that is woven into the fabric of God's creation. And I get, I, I do get that sin has also permeated that, that creation, right? Sin has distorted our world and our lives. I understand that. But there's an inherent goodness to creation, and it sometimes still breaks through. And gives us a glimmer of who God is. This is precisely what Paul says when he's addressing the, um, the people in Lystra. Lystra, however you say that. Let me get that text for you. It's a great text. In, in the book of Acts, Paul shows up in this town and they do a healing, Paul and Barnabas. And these guys um, in the town start calling them Zeus and Hermes, Greek gods. And Paul's like appalled by this. And he says, look, what are you doing? i got to put on my glasses for this. He says, well, Friends, what are you doing? Why, what, what are you doing? This is Acts 14. We too are only human like you. And we bring, we're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in it. In the past, he let nations go their own way. Now, hear this. Yet, he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown his kindness, he has shown his grace by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Right? So these moments of goodness in creation are evidence of God's kindness. God trying to get uh, our attention. Right? It is why um, all kinds of people pause in wonder. I heard all kinds of chatter on the radio this week about the Northern Lights. And it's why we're like... Whoa. Right? This is grace. This is common grace where we're encountered with such incredible beauty, we stop talking. Right? Or or a really vivid sunrise or sunset or why you delight in good food. Or good wine. Right? Why we delight in these things because they are gifts from God. This is common grace. Okay, the goodness of creation. It's one, of, one place. First place, I'll say that it breaks in into our lives where God is just displaying his kindness, his goodness, some of who he is. Okay, it's not saving grace. It's common grace. It's just God showing some of who he is. Uh, the second place this plays out, and this is a little harder to get at, um, is through God restraining the effects of evil in our world. And again, go back to Genesis. And just a quick aside here. The first chapters of Genesis, 1 to 11 in particular, there's just so much we need to pay attention to in these these chapters. And it sets the tone for so many other things. So there's so much here. And again, I'm drawing from this section. um, Where God, this is after the flood, and God makes a covenant with Noah. And just hear what God says. And then God said to Noah, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants and every living creature that was with you, birds, livestock, wild animals, everything on earth. I will establish my covenant with you. Never again will all of life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. Right? So God is putting, there's like sin has has affected our world, but God is putting some limits, some boundaries on that. Never again will this wipe out all of humanity or all of creation and puts a rainbow in the sky that reminds us of that. So next time you see a rainbow, know that God is restraining the effects of evil in our world. Now, it's hard to get at this um, because we're trying to imagine what doesn't happen, (laughs) And we often just can only imagine what did happen, right? So sometimes the war, as it has in Ukraine, does break in and shatter our lives, right? And you think, well, why didn't God restrain war completely? All right, so I know this is hard to get at, but probably in ways that we cannot see, the effects of evil are still being contained in some way. Uh, there's another story, actually, I'll just alert you to it because it's just so weird, um, is or it's a bit it's not weird it's just bizarre is abraham um and he's he's on his travels and he uh, ends up in this place and he he's uh meets this guy called abimelech abimelech's kind of a local king or a local leader and abraham's concerned because sarah his wife is quite good looking and he's kind of worried about who how the king might treat her and stuff so he lies remarkably the second time he does the same thing twice. It's so bizarre. But um, he says, oh, she's not my wife. She's my sister. Um, and then Abimelech takes Sarah, Abraham's wife, into his harem. And then I'll pick up the story. Genesis 20, you can read it. Now, Abimelech had not gone near her. That's Bible speak for she had, they hadn't had sex yet. Okay? Now, Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord... Uh, Oh, because God tells Abimelech that he's good as dead. And he's like, whoa, Lord, uh, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he, Abraham, didn't he say she's my sister? And didn't she say he's my brother? They lied to me. And I have done this with a clear conscience and with clean hands. And then God said to him in a dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience. And listen, so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Right? And God is limiting the effects of the sin. Do you see what's going on there? It's just remarkable. And this is common grace. right? Abimelech, there's nothing in the text really that suggests that Abimelech has this deep relationship with God. But he encounters God restraining the destruction and the effects of sin. Okay, so that's the second place that common grace breaks in. It's a little harder to see because it's, we're trying to imagine what didn't happen. But I suspect there's a lot of things in my life that didn't happen that could have. Okay, third place I think common grace breaks into our lives is through humanity. Through you all and your neighbors and your co-workers, right? The human. And again, Genesis points the way, or starts the conversation, right? In the creation story, God creates humanity. And these words are spoken, right? After God creates Adam and Eve. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In his image. Okay? It's why humans have a moral compass. And I get that people's moral compasses are all kind of dialed a bit different and we disagree on the finer points, but I would say, sort of fairly collectively, we can look at what's going on in the Ukraine and we're all appalled by that. Are we not? There's something in us that just says, that's not right, what's going on. Where does that come from? It's common grace. Or why people who have zero allegiance to Jesus, they're not Christians that I'm aware of, can do incredible acts of goodness and kindness. Right? I've known all kinds of people who are uh, really just not, they're not thinking about Christian things, they're not interested in Christian things, or perhaps they're interested in Hindu things, but still do incredible acts of goodness and kindness. And that too is an Aspect of this, that God has created all people in His image, and somehow that just, it, it just bleeds out of us. And we're, we have still the ability to do good things. For sure, humans do some awful things. I get that too, right? Sin is part of the story, but common grace breaks in. Or, why artists can be so incredibly creative is an aspect of this. I want to read you a, a verse in... in um, Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verse 11. For God has made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the human heart. Right? He's set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And I think what Solomon's describing here is the tortured artist. right? Someone who can't quite fathom the eternity that God's placed in them. And they're sort of crying out, they're reaching out, they're painting, they're dancing, they're singing, they're acting in some way where they're, they're trying to touch the transcendent, but they're still deeply flawed human beings. And we get this artwork, music and art and paintings and, 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 and all kinds of things that just touch the beauty of God and its common grace because God has placed eternity within us, somehow. Alright, so these are the three places I think that common grace permeates our life, that God is seeking and longing to get our attention. There's this great verse in Isaiah, sort of tucked away in Isaiah, um, and I'm just sort of pulling verses, not usually what I do at all, but... I just want you to see how this is sort of permeated through the Scripture story. So I'm trying to draw from numerous places. And here in Isaiah, uh, God is speaking to Isaiah and says this, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Right? To hear that. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore he will rise up to show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. All right, so God is a God of holiness, a God of justice. All of those things are true, but God is also a God who longs to be gracious. And common grace is a way that God breaks into all of creation and all of our lives as a way to just get our attention. It's different, as we'll see next week, from saving grace. Okay, we'll make some distinctions. But it is a way that God longs to reach out to us, to people. All right? So much for the theology. Let's, let me get at this with a few stories, because all of it can sound... So I'll pull up a chair. I'll have a little story time here. So I'm just drawing for some random stories. I could have asked you. I suspect you have many stories. Um, in this case, I'm just going to tell you a few stories from my life uh, where common grace has um, broken in. God has just shown His kindness. So first story. Uh, this here is my first car. Um, <laughs> you had no idea I was this cool. <laughs> All right? So I painted this car. I did that. My handiwork. Um, don't worry, I wasn't cool for long. The car broke down a week after I painted it, which is what this picture's of. I was on a road trip, I was actually moving to South Dakota and my car broke down in the middle of nowhere. If you really want to know where it was, it was in the middle of between two towns. One was called Busby and one was called Lame Deer. And it's in the middle of nowhere in Wyoming. It's not actually terribly far from Custer's last stand. The irony of that was not lost on me at the time even. But my car, like it's one of those moments where I'm driving and every light on my dashboard went on all at once. And I'm like, uh, we got a problem, and, and the car stopped, and it turned out I blew up the motor, uh, quite literally, actually. Um, I managed to get a hold of a tow truck, Zeke. Zeke's auto wrecking came, so that was a little sketchy right off the bat. They towed me a long ways. It cost me a lot of money to get that car towed. Um, and they brought me to the auto record and Zeke took one look at the car, in about 30 seconds said, oh, that's not going to run anymore. You need a new car. You can buy one of mine. And I'm like, eh, I don't know, Zeke, I, <laughs> I don't know about that. Plus, I, this is important in the story, I had $300 cash in my pocket. So this is 87 I see, so I did not own a credit card, and this before, like, debit cards were, like, widely used. So I had $300 US in my pocket, that's what I had. And nobody was coming, all right? I'm in the middle of nowhere here, and I've just spent $130 of that or so on a tow truck. And I'm like, I don't... Anyway, Zeke, let's get a second opinion. So they towed it across to the auto dealer, the only other opinion I could get in town. Um, And the dealer basically said the same thing. Yeah, you blew a hole in one of your pistons. It's not going to run ever again. Uh, You're stuck. Um, And I don't know now what I'm going to do. And there was a salesman at that dealership um, who clearly saw my desperation. And he offered to take me out for pizza which he did and then he offered to give me a place for the night in his basement or whatever in a bedroom spare bedroom at his house which he did and the next morning i packed up all my belongings for my car and i carried on i managed to i had just enough to buy bus ticket Um, and it's a crazy story. There's more to it. I ended up having a run-in with a state trooper and almost got arrested, and I ended up having to sleep in an abandoned van down by the river, literally. And anyway, I made it finally to South Dakota with less than $20 in my pocket. And I'll tell you, I would not have got there if it hadn't been for the kindness of a stranger. That man showed me common grace. Kindness. Right? I have no idea if he was a Christian. For all I know, he, like, it, it could have played out very differently. You could see that. I was vulnerable. I was, I was in need. I, who knows how that could have played out? And yet, here's a man who just said, there's someone who needs help, and I will help. And it is God's grace through a stranger. All right, second story. Uh, I took some of my graduate studies in theology in San Francisco, which, if you've ever been to San Francisco, is a beautiful place to be. It's probably the most expensive U.S. city I've ever been to, shockingly expensive, at least when I was there. And um, and it was more expensive because at the time the dollar is what the dollar always is compared to the U.S. dollar, and so I was paying about thirty to thirty-five percent more than all of my American uh, fellow collegiates. So I was not. I was paying a lot to be there for my grad studies. And in one of my first classes in my first semester there, uh the teacher says, "I want you to go out in nature and just sort of reflect on nature." And I'm like, "What? I am paying you like a lot of money to be here and you want me to take a walk? I could have done that back home and saved like $3,000." I was just I was really torqued up. So, uh I thought i 'll go sit by a tree and i 'll just whatever i 'll just i don 't know whatever. I was really frustrated, so I went to this it was a pretty beautiful campus actually it 's January for sure it 's you know not the nicest time to be in San Francisco, but it is San Francisco, so it 's not that cold and i 'm sitting in the sort of the green common space, so there 's trees all around this massive green space, and I find myself sitting there by the tree, just kind of this is just ridiculous. And then all of a sudden, I realize that I can hear birdsong, bird song. And it's San Francisco, so it's birds I don't normally hear in Calgary. Um, And it's beautiful. I'm really drawn. And I just find myself just listening to this beautiful bird song. And then there's this guy across the common who fires up a chainsaw, and he's pruning trees, and it's like... And and it's like, so I hear birds, and then the chainsaw goes dormant, when the chainsaw's dormant, and then he fires it up, and he's pruning a tree, and I can't hear the birds, and now I'm getting mad for all kinds of other reasons. Um, But then it hits me. How often is God's voice drowned out in my life? God speaks like beautiful bird songs. And sometimes I hear it. And many times, noises just drown it right out. Life, stuff, whatever. And I'll tell you, that lesson is probably the most enduring and most memorable and most important lesson of my entire grad studies. It has stayed with me for, as you can see, 22 years, 23 years. I still think of those birds and what it is to listen to God and what kind of things drown God's voice out in my life? And God, through creation, grace, common grace, the beauty of birdsong. All right, third story. So uh, in 2012, that's my family at a different stage in life. Um, we did a cross continent trip we drove across the u.s really fast and i went to school some more studies and then we drove up to pei and then we spent the better part of five weeks driving back across canada and when we were in montreal lo and behold right beside our downtown hotel this is this big tent and i'm like whoa cirque du soleil let's go right how can you not go to cirque du soleil um, and i don't know if you've ever been to cirque du soleil uh it is in my opinion absolutely stunning Um, You will watch performers do things that you don't even think are humanly possible. And they do it with such incredible beauty and such incredible grace. And I find myself, I remember, this is a distinct memory. I'm sitting there with these guys, well, my family at the Cirque du Soleil, and there's tears in my eyes at how good this is. A few years ago, I came across this uh, little excerpt from Frederick Beekner, And he says it better than me, so I'm just going to read his stuff. Uh, he's at SeaWorld, okay? Not at Cirque du Soleil, but you can see the commonalities. It was a gorgeous day, and there we were with the bright Florida sunlight reflecting in the shimmering water and the cloudless blue sky overhead. The bleachers we, where we sat were packed, and the way the show began was That had given signal, they released into the tank five or six killer whales, as we call them. And no creature under heaven could have looked less killer-like as they went racing around and around in circles. And what with the dazzle of the sky and the sun and the beautiful young people on the platform and the soft, soft southern air and the crowds all around us watching the performance with a delight matched only by "'What seemed the delight of the performing whales? "'it was if the whole creation, "'men, women, beasts, sun, water, earth, sky, "'and for all I know, God himself, "'was caught up in one great jubilant dance "'of unimaginable beauty. "'And then right in the midst of it, "'I was astonished to find my eyes were filled with tears.'" Buechner turns to his wife and daughter and told them of this rush of emotion and they had replied the same, they felt the same thing. And then he goes on to explain. He says, we shed tears because we had got a glimpse of the peaceable kingdom, God's kingdom, and it had almost broken our hearts. For a few minutes, we had seen Eden. We'd been part of the great dance that goes on in the heart of creation. We shed tears because we were given a glimpse of the way that life was created to be but is so often not. And that's what I experienced for that little moment in Cirque du Soleil. And again, for all I know, most of those folks are not Christians or don't think about Jesus often, or if at all, I have no idea. I didn't talk to any of the performers. But in that moment of beauty and grace, God's common grace broke through. And you just had a. I just had this little glimmer of how life could be, perhaps, or at least what beauty could look like, what eternity in the human heart looks like. Common grace through artists. Here's my last story. Um, I don't know if you recognize these people. You, uh, is it coming up? Did it come up? Will it come up? These people, do you recognize these guys? Anybody? Yeah, I know. Not the best picture of them. But uh, this is the band called, it's at least some of the band, called Walk Off the Earth. Um, you might may or may not be familiar with them. Um, at my house, uh, I often, because Sherilyn cooks, and she's a great cook, I, therefore, do dishes, which I'm grateful for, because my hands, between sort of like, you know, October and May are freezing, so then I do dishes, and just one time in my day, my hands warm up, and it's great, Um, but I also listen to music, and I get, like, relentlessly mocked for my musical tastes in my house, is 80s pop, um, is what I listen to, and, and people, so I've tried really hard to expand my horizons, and I now listen to contemporary pop. So, including Walk Off the Earth and some things. So, um, here's a song they came out with a few years back. I'm not going to play the whole song, but I'm going to just play the last 30 seconds of the song, okay? So, Mark, if you want to put up that video... Beginning of that clip. Um, if you listen to the whole song, uh, it's it tells a it tells a fantastic story actually about a person struggling with addiction, and um, and one of their friends is actually a family member. Just says, "I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to walk with you through this." Um, so it's not advocating drunkenness. It's just saying if that is sometimes where you find yourself, it's okay. I'll be there. And. Again, I get a little bit mocked because it is contemporary pop, but I, you know, this song just really grabbed me. Um, And I put it on actually repeat, so then I get as mocked more often. (laughs) But, um, listen, one of the, we all have things we struggle with in life. Um, And one of the core places where I struggle is I have felt alone in life. And that's a whole other story I could, I'd be happy to share with you at some point. But uh, just the way I sort of grew up, and I just, like, there are lots of... And, and the way that that's filtered into my Christian experience is I don't always feel like God's there. I feel alone. And this song is actually speaking truth to me. Again, I don't have a clue if walking on the earth have interest in Jesus... Um, This particular song is not talking about Jesus. I'm aware of that. It's talking about human friendship. But that's also a place where I don't feel alone. Or this reminder is that you're not alone. Right? So here I am in 80s... this This is 2000s pop. But in 80s pop, remarkably too, God's grace breaks through. Common grace. God speaks. God reaches out and actually speaks to one of my core lies. Right? That I feel like God is not there. And then walk, on the walk of the earth reminds me, now I'll be there. Right? It's just common grace. It's God using all of creation, in this case artists, to speak his truth, his goodness, and his beauty. Right? This is how common grace permeates. And God is just, I think, um, I mean what Isaiah says, God longs to be gracious to us. And I think it just sort of spills out of him is the picture I get. Um, and God can't almost help himself. I don't know. Some of you are hikers in this room, I know. Um, this is sort of the gratuitousness of God's grace in my mind uh, pictured. is I, you know, I've gone on backpacking trips where I'm like three, four days into the backcountry. And then you stumble upon this alpine meadow. Right, and it's full of wildflowers, and you're, like, you're just absolutely stunned by the beauty of this alpine meadow that maybe five people are going to get to see before the winter hits. You think, why would God create that kind of beauty and that kind of remoteness? And I just think it just spills out of them. God longs to be gracious, and common grace is one of the ways that this impacts our lives, Okay. And we'll talk about saving grace again next week as as our lives intersect with the person and work of Jesus. And that's an important uh, story to unpack. But here I just want to just highlight this idea of common grace, that God breaks in, in all these unexpected ways to reveal His goodness, His kindness, His presence. And... I'm going to invite the, the team back up, I'm gonna and then I'll pray too. But I, I'm going to leave you with this question while I get situated is this. is just, like I said, I could have quizzed you ahead of time, and you would have had some of your own stories. I've just shared some of mine, um, and I wanted you to know that for a week in my life when I had a zebra-colored car, it was cool. But outside of that, you know, these are just places where God has sort of broken into my story, and there's countless. This was a fun week to just reflect back on, on the places where God breaks in. And, and I tr- trust, because it's God, that God has broken into your world in some of these common places. And I just invite you, as this team uh, sings another song, uh, you by all means can join in with the song. But you might also just want to take a moment to think about where is it that God is breaking in or has broken in in these common ways. Just God's goodness, his kindness, his beauty, his presence, his truth, that has just sort of broken into your world unexpectedly in the past week or two or three, or maybe over the course of the pandemic. All right, because Isaiah is a good, clear reminder. God longs to be gracious to you. Let me pray. God, I thank you for... um, I thank you for your grace, your undeserved kindness, your goodness that breaks in sometimes in the most unlikely of places. Thank you. Thank you that that happens to me far more often than I realize. And perhaps to us, far more often than we realize. So God, please Give us eyes to see your grace, your common grace.